Welcome to AJHP Voices, now comprising interviews on contemporary pharmacy issues and discussions with AJHP authors. The service was formerly known as AJHP Podcasts. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices, speaking with the lead author for an article entitled Multifaceted Approach to Reducing Occurrence of Severe Hypoglycemia in a Large Health System. This article is based on the ASHP Foundation's 2013 Award for Excellence in Medication Use Safety. With me is Dr. Paul E. Milligan, Medication Safety Pharmacist, Center for Clinical Excellence, BJC Healthcare, St. Louis, Missouri. Paul, I'd like to begin our discussion by having you set the stage about your health system. Give us uh, some basic information about BJC Healthcare. BJC is one of the largest nonprofit healthcare organizations in the United States. Most of our hospitals are located in the St. Louis area. We do have a few hospitals in mid-Missouri and southern Illinois and further out in the periphery. Barnes Jewish Hospital and St. Louis Children's Hospital are our flagship. Those are both affiliated with Washington University. Mm -hmm. Well, within your health system, you have the Center for Clinical Excellence, with which you're primarily associated. Tell us about that center. The Center for Clinical Excellence has been in place about midway since we've uh, formed as a healthcare organization. It's led by Clay Dunnigan, who is Senior Vice President of BJC and our Chief Clinical Officer for all of BJC. It's the quality center for the system, and it has several departments that are part of this. The Clinical Advisory Group, which I'm a part of, we're involved with safety and patient-centered outcomes, multidisciplinary. There's pharmacists, nurses, and others. And then we have a few other parts of CCE or the Center for Clinical Excellence, which we have a healthcare informatics as part of a strategy and operations. And then we teach transformation support. When you think about the current configuration of your health system with a number of acute care facilities, how long has that configuration been in existence? And I have to assume that a great part of the imperative for the Center for Clinical Excellence is sort of working on establishing standard clinical practices across multiple institutions. So you might just comment on that process. We began affiliating in 1993 when one of our flagship hospitals affiliated with one of our community hospitals, and then we grew from there. In the next year or so, back in the early 90s, the hospitals were forming these healthcare systems. We had five hospitals in 1994. We have 13 hospitals currently. First step that I'm aware of around accountability of clinical quality was a 2002 white paper that was out that started to set up the structure for how we're going to manage our data, how we're going to manage accountability. We started the beginning of a system-wide quality scorecard and decisions then were made regarding transparency of data. One of the first system-wide quality initiatives we did that was pretty successful was for infection prevention, formed a collaborative that is still going on today very strongly with representatives from all of our hospitals. That was kind of a proof of concept that centrally we could handle and and implement same change improvements across um, all of the hospitals. 
Well, in your paper, you say that the particular program dealing with severe hypoglycemia was a part of system-wide initiative to address adverse drug events that was started in 2008. Comment a bit about that initiative. Well, that was really my call to action when I was hired. The white paper was released by the board, which called for a 75% reduction in preventable harm. This was not only adverse drug events, but healthcare-acquired infections, pressure ulcers, falls, and a few others. At that point in 2008 is when we started to form teams and began uh, lining up our leadership and structure on how we were going to affect change across the system. At that time in 2008, our catchphrase was, we don't know what we don't know. I was the leader of preventable harm for adverse drug events, and I didn't even know what our adverse drug events were. We knew that the first step was coming up with an adverse drug event surveillance process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and then you found that hypoglycemia events, that is blood glucose, uh, less than 40 milligrams per deciliter, were a majority of all adverse drug events. I'm curious, how does that problem relate to the general issue of glycemic control in hospitals? Well, good glycemic control isn't always going to be our goal, but as we were using the IHI trigger tool that we had automated and several organizations were really targeting severe hypoglycemia as an acute occurrence that can cause some patients harm, and that's why we were focusing on that. This was not on anybody's radar. We had a group of pharmacists in the room throwing out all the different areas they thought we should start working to reduce adverse drug events. I'm pretty sure that diabetes and hypoglycemia didn't even make it into the conversation. Well, once you made this discovery, what was sort of the general outline of what you decided to do about it? Well, everyone agreed less than 40 was an outcome that should not occur to our patients here. And so it got a lot of attention from our leadership. Oversedation was our number two problem, and the severity of that was pretty high. Those two became the focus from a system level after we had collected data for a while. And instead of having one general adverse drug event team made up of pharmacists, it became obvious after a short time that the pharmacists were not necessarily the group to solve hypoglycemia. And we started forming a multidisciplinary team made up of a lot of diabetic educators from across the system. So we still had pharmacist involvement in there too, but we had dietitians, we endocrinologists that were ad hoc members of the team. And that was how we got started. Well, just for a moment, taking a broader look at hospital care, does glycemic control factor into any of the measures that are being used today to monitor the quality of hospital care? CMS, as far as I'm aware, has no metrics that relate specifically to uh, glycemic management any longer. They had one, but it was retired last year. However, our clinical officer, he identifies it as a hidden epidemic. You know, rarely do patients come in the hospital just for diabetes. They come in with other things, and while they're here, we are tasked to manage their diabetes, but it's rarely the top priority. By it not being a top priority, we end up having some bad outcomes. We still track both uh, severe hyperglycemia and severe hypo as, as we did back when we started this initiative. On our quality metric scorecard, we call it a best-in-class scorecard for the system that has goals. Well, Paul, before getting into additional details about uh, the process of your program, 
please tell listeners what you were able to achieve over a number of years after focusing on reducing the problem of hypoglycemia. Well, we really are proud of the fact that we had over a period of about four years a 80% reduction in the rate of hypoglycemia from a six-month baseline that we collected in 2009 to, for the purpose of this paper, the last six months of 2014. And at that point, we had an 80% reduction. And so sometimes the rates are a little hard to comprehend. We did have reductions at all the hospitals. The minimum hospital reduction was 70%, by the way. These were reductions that we saw at all the hospitals. And 80% sounds impressive. But in real numbers, we were having approximately five events a day across our 2,000-bed healthcare system. And we are down over that time frame to less than one mm. event per day. And we're still improving. We still have it on our scorecard, and we still have our team as active, and, and so we're still getting better at that. But besides just the numbers of this, I think that we also prove that this process is effective and the value of working together across a system to solve a common problem is valuable and useful and effective, right. more importantly. We also achieve credibility of a centrally led effort because uh, at CCE, our customers are the individual hospitals. We've garnered some credibility. And the last part of what we found and proved was that we could develop a system of sustained improvement. We could accomplish that by keeping it on the scorecard. It's still something that we measure, and what's measured gets managed. And so this is still something that's measured every month. A report goes out to leaders in the best-in-class scorecard, and I still get calls periodically about individual cases and, and, and things like that. Besides the numbers and the patient that are benefiting and the nursing time that's being saved, I mean, there's, there's an incredible amount that goes into those numbers from five to one. These other parts are very important, too. Yeah. Well, it's a very impressive result and speaks highly of the effectiveness of your program. Well, what have you determined are the primary causative factors of hypoglycemia among your inpatients? The answer to that is when. We continue to collect causative factors. We developed a heat tool uh, um, that we investigate the events with. It was on paper and it is now automated, but Diabetic educators investigate each event. And when we first started collecting our causative factors, the number one issue was timing issues around the nursing administering the food and the blood glucose test and administering the insulin. Okay. Those are, should be coordinated, and they were not at quite a few of our hospitals. Continuation of home regimen always came in number two. So patients who came into the hospital and were put on the dose of insulin they took at home, or they said they took at home when in the hospital, they rarely require that large of a dose because okay. they're not eating. Four years later, our causative factors have changed, and they were never the same at each hospital. I want to okay. stress that. And that's why it's important to do this at an individual level. But decreased nutritional intake is important now, and a basal-heavy regimen of insulin where patients are getting uh, too heavy basal doses for their condition. Okay. Well, the limits of this AJHB Voices interview do not permit us to discuss all facets of your very comprehensive approach to addressing hypoglycemia. So let me ask, what do you believe were the most effective components of the program that led to your success? Well, the whole program was important and fit together like a puzzle very nicely, but 
We did implement what we identified as foundational best practices at the beginning, things we found in the literature. And those were implemented because we found that all the hospitals weren't at the same level. Some had teams, some did not have teams. But those were important to get us started. We had a small reduction in harm at that point. But the key factor for us and the most effective component of the program was the HEAT tool which was collection of the data and collection of the causative factors. Because if we would have implemented one tool at all of the hospitals, we would have had very little effect on our rate. The innovative part about this that I think is key was by collecting causative factors and showing the nurses what their number one and number two and number three causative factors were at their hospital, and then getting together in a group with other diabetic educators from all the other hospitals who have solved those problems before led us to implement only informed interventions from the data. It was very efficient. The buy-in was incredible because we could go to the hospital and say, your number one problem is timing issues. If you want to improve your hypoglycemia rates, you need to fix timing issues. They had never had that before. The diabetic educators may have tried that, but they weren't having the buy-in because no one knew if that was the problem. So the heat tool, the causative factor collection led to these smart, informed, efficient interventions that were well accepted by everybody because they were evidence-based to that hospital, not something that the system found that we think everybody ought to do this. We would have had much less success, I'm confident, if we would have tried to implement uh, interventions that weren't even problems at some hospital. Very, very important point. Well, one might expect that patient care teams would detect and act on incidents of hypoglycemia without the special oversight that you describe in your article. So does this come down to a matter of improving the timeliness of response? Or is there something more to it than that? I'm not sure if it's the timeliness, although we did encourage timely investigation. But I think it was the collating of the data and sharing the data with each hospital team to show them their nursing units that are having the most events. Before then, the diabetic educators, my impression was that they seemed to work solo. They often didn't have a team at their hospital. They knew there were some problems, but they were left to their own devices to fix them. And so the causative factor collection limited the number of interventions that we had to do because we knew that our top one or two problems were. And it also, because of the dashboards that we created for individual hospital units, we were able to show that the diabetic educator that you don't have to implement this initially at all of your nursing units. If you implement it on these three nursing units, that's 70% of your event. This was invaluable information. We continued to update that. So as one floor was fixed, another one would pop up. As a causative factor was eliminated, another one moved up, like I was telling you before about causative factors. So this continuous improvement was sustained by the data, but then the people on the floors had to do the uh, work, but they knew for a fact that this was going to reduce their event rate. Well, you've already said that the program you describe in this paper is still operational today. Are there any particular enhancements or adjustments that you're currently working on? Uh, yeah. We've, first of all, have turned the team over to the nurses. They were the ones that should have had it anyway. And it's not led by CCE anymore. I still attend the meetings, but this is 
sustained group that is transitioned back to the nurses to lead. Yeah, and like I said, the numbers have still continued to drop. They're still working on that. But they are now beginning to work on severe hyperglycemia. We've identified it. It's more common than the severe hypoglycemia, but the outcomes weren't as dire, and that's why we worked on hypo first. But hyperglycemia is next on our list, so maybe we'll uh, see you in a few years for another interview. Okay. Okay. Look forward to that. Paul, to what extent do you think that your program uh, represents a generalizable model for change in clinical practice across multi-site health systems? This is generalizable for not only system as we have, but also for individual hospital because where we had 11 or 12 hospitals to deal with, hospitals have different specialty areas, different nursing units, and I'm sure that they would find different causative factors and different interventions for individual nursing units as they would for individual hospitals. But this strategy that we use is similar to DMAIC, D-M-A-I-C, which is a common change management style. It stands define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. We could probably break our process down into that. There are so many interventions for all sorts of problems that you need some way to inform those. Um, I think that's part of the reason we haven't had a lot of luck nationally even moving the bar on, on adverse drug events too much is because everyone's looking for the magic bullet. And sometimes what's important for one hospital is not likely to be important for another. In the paper, we discuss several automated alerts, and that always seems difficult. But most of the key uh, interventions that we tried started on paper. Our heat form was a paper form, and we still sometimes use it that way. I've shared that. And our SharePoint site that we share our best practices and, and data actually started as an Excel spreadsheet, and we used it that way for six months or more. We just looked for ways to simplify it. So I think that the reader will find a lot of tools that we use generalizable. Well, just picking up on that, I'm curious, what advice do you have for others who might be contemplating a large practice change project in a hospital or a health system? Well, uh, one is that leadership is key. Without the strong leadership to create the Center for Clinical Excellence, although we use existing resources to accomplish most of the work here, we needed leadership continue to sustain this, and they are. CCE is still around and growing. The other thing that's key is having a fair risk-adjusted metric. So especially when we are trying to compare hospitals to one another, one of our hospitals was a diabetic center. One, depending on the location, had more diabetic patients than others. We used a risk-adjusted metric based on diabetic patients. And that was key because then it was easy to compare hospitals. And when we compared hospitals, it wasn't only to find the worst hospitals. It was to find the best hospital. That was my most important part of coming up with this fair risk-adjusted metric. So I wanted to find out which of our 11 hospitals is actually doing the best and find out what they're doing. And that's the advantage of having a health system is the challenges are obvious, but the benefits are that I could find a hospital, our academic hospital had the lowest rate in our system. The risk-adjusted metric allows you to find your best practices. And even at a hospital level, you'll probably find a floor doing very well at that or a physician who is really on top of an adverse drug event prevention. What gets measured gets managed. And so when you have this metric that's fair and everyone is behind, I think that was key. 
Well, Dr. Paul Milligan, thank you very much for spending time with me uh, discussing your comprehensive and very effective program for reducing severe hypoglycemia. Thanks very much. This is William Zelmer for AJHB Voices. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org.